Pellicle is proudly sponsored by Lochran Brewers Select, a seventh-generation family-owned business based near Dundalk in Ireland. In 2014, James Lochran established Lochran Brewing Stores in order to supply high-quality brewing ingredients to the burgeoning beer industries in the UK, Ireland and mainland Europe. The business expanded in 2022 when ingredient wholesaler Brewers Select joined the Lochran family, expanding its suppliers within the brewing ingredient and raw material industry. Some of those suppliers include Crosby Hops, a family-owned hop farm in Oregon, USA, Baird's Malt here in the UK, and industry-leading yeast producer Lalamond. Thanks to their support, we're able to pay more writers, photographers, and illustrators than ever before, and invest in special projects like this podcast. Thanks again to Lochran Brewers Select, who you can find out more about by visiting brewersselect.co.uk forward slash pellicle. And now... Let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Pellicle Podcast with me, Matthew Curtis. Thanks again for joining me and for the first of no less than five episodes that we recorded at this year's Fine Fest. I'm going to keep the introduction brief for these episodes because I do have five to get through and my aim is to try and drip feed these through to you over the festive season. So we won't stick to a usual weekly schedule or anything. Once this episode is out, I will release these podcasts as soon as they're ready. So it might be a couple of days or a week or so after each episode, but I'm going to make sure I get through all five in as timely a manner as possible. The reason for this is because I have plenty of content recorded for next year. In fact, there's already another five or six episodes in the pipeline, and I'll probably record more while those are being worked on. So I really want to start 2024 with a blank slate, and getting through these episodes in as timely manner as possible will be the most conducive way of doing that. Before we get into this, our first debate, which is about the price of beer in the UK at the moment, I should let you know that we've been invited back to FineFest in 2024, and tickets are now available for that at finefest.com. Our schedule of talks will be announced closer to the time, but there'll be a much more back-to-basics approach. We're going to put the beer back in beer tasting, and while the last couple of years we've addressed some bigger topics like you'll hear over the next few episodes, we're going to focus on beer styles and drinking beer and talking about how they're made and who made them. What makes Finefest such a special festival is its conviviality and how people go there to relax and enjoy themselves. And sometimes that means you don't want to dig into some of the bigger topics in beer. Not that we didn't enjoy these topics, but we are so excited to be back there next year. Get your tickets now. It's finefest.com. And thank you to Jamie and Aidy at Fine Ales, both for inviting us back to the festival and for being one of our pro Patreon supporters and supporting this magazine and podcast. This discussion is called The Big Price of Beer Debate, and it features Andy Parker of Elusive Brewing, Charlie Harding of Bon Vivant Marketing, and Alice Hayward from Cloudwater. I won't spoil too much of the conversation here because from the title, it's pretty obvious what we're going to get into, but it is a really fascinating chat. And I will caveat that it was recorded at a beer festival. There's a live band in the background. There are revelers. It was about 6pm when we turned the mics on. 
but we managed to get through it and enjoy ourselves and I'm pretty happy with the sound quality all things considered. So let's get straight into this week's episode and don't forget to keep checking your podcast feeds as I'll be publishing the remaining four panel discussions as soon as they're ready. Happy listening. First of all, let me introduce uh, my panellists. At the very end, we have Andy Parker, the founder and head brewer at Elusive Brew Co, and uh, often referred to as the nicest man in beer. And we'll try and test that over the next uh, 45 minutes or or so. (laughs) In the middle, we've got Charlie Harding, uh, who is the uh, proprietor, owner of Bon Vivant Marketing. I work for myself, so yeah. yes. <laughs> uh, based in Bristol and does marketing for uh, the food and beverage world. And finally, we've got Alice Hayward, who works for Cloudwater Brewery, based in London uh, at the 73 Enid Street Bar. Um, what, what's your role at Cloudwater these days? In fact, I think the best thing to do is, because you were the manager of 73 Enid Street, but now you do lots of other stuff. So I think the best thing to do is, for you guys here and the people who will eventually listen at home, is tell... Tell us a bit more about who you are and what your role is. And Alice, I think uh, you'd be the best person to start with. Uh, I do anything that's basically not anything in Manchester. <laughs> uh, so any events and stuff that need to be organised that are not in Manchester. Um, it's a little bit more than just managing a bar, just because we are based in Manchester um, and being the only person down south. I, I once got christened as the London Commander for Cloudwater, and I think that's the most appropriate title. I enjoy that. London Commander for Cloudwater. Yeah, that's great. Charlie, tell us a li- little bit more about what you do uh, with Bon Vivant Marketing. Yeah, sure. So I work predominantly with uh, hospitality people. Um, I've got two breweries on the books at the moment, Red Willow and Queer Brewing. Uh, And it's my job to make them sound good on social media, um, website, copy, all that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's just getting their kind of message and the things that they want to sell out into the wider world. Brilliant. And Andy, tell us a little bit about Elusive and and, and what you do there. Yeah, so Elusive is a little brewery based in Berkshire, um, started in 2016. Uh, I'm the founder and head brewer, um, no longer the most senior person in the business, which makes me very happy. That's Ruth Mitchell, our MD. Um, and yeah, we're a tiny little brewery that um, we'll get onto it. We're very exposed to costs and things like that, being small without economies of scale. So looking forward to the chat today. Just for scale, so Fine Ales is a 50-barrel brewery. Your brewery is, is five-barrel, isn't it? Or how big is it? Yeah, we're five-barrel. So we, we brew about eight heck per brew, but we double brew everything because we've got bigger tanks than that. But for a, a, a nice point of reference is that... Um, we're next door to Siren, and they produce 17 times the amount of beer we do. That was last year. So. Yeah. But, but you've been growing nice and steadily. It's seven years now since you founded the brewery, isn't it? Yep, it was our birthday last week. Oh, happy birthday, Elusive Brewing. Amazing. Can you believe that? Won a home brewing competition, won several, and now you're making some of the best beer in the country. So I think that is uh, absolutely that, incredible. That is, that is very kind of you to say. Uh, it's, it's just honesty. That's all it is. Um, but what has changed for you in terms of the price of your raw materials? How has the cost of making beer increased over the last seven years, and in particular, probably over the last 12 to 18 months? 
It, for us, it was... Um, so we started in 2016, back when there was a bit of a shortage of hops. And we make mostly hop-forward beer. And back then, hops were quite expensive. And that's been kind of a, a, a bit of a, a trough for us. So hops have started to get a little bit more expensive. Where we've seen the big changes, particularly in the past year, has been malt um, and energy. So in terms of costs, those are the big ones. Um, Everything else has been fairly steady overall. I mean, cardboard, weirdly, any, any brewers in the house, like, cardboard has, like, trebled in price because of the, you know, the, the thing in 2020 that we won't talk about. Um, and, yeah, demand for mail order. Um, so cardboard really went, got expensive. But, um, yeah, it's been an interesting shift in seven years where we've seen some costs went down and have gone up slightly. Some costs have been fairly steady. Some have, were steady and are now through the roof. And what do you think is driving these costs? What's the factor that's influencing their increases? Um, how political can I get? Um, <laughs> it's been interesting. I mean, if you look at... Um, brewing is very energy-intensive. Uh, we boil and we chill liquids. That's kind of it uh, on the production side. And um, obviously, um, energy has been the biggest hit over the past year. Uh, we saw our personal our bills trebled overnight. Um, came out of contract and you know that's a, a price we have to pass on in, to some extent um, what's driven that I mean it's to some extent it's over demand of the services cardboard for example they couldn't keep up so the prices went up um, energy the, the, why energy is so expensive is obviously a point of debate in itself um, but yeah it's, um, it's it's been an interesting time let's say that in the past year especially we're now also enjoying the wonderful sounds of Pictish Trail, uh, who are absolutely brilliant band. So if you are listening on the podcast, this, you're getting a bit of, a, of, a bit of free music. Um, it, there's a lot of hidden costs in beer, that's the thing. People don't think about like, your water bill and like, buying carbon dioxide, buying sterilisation chemicals to keep the brewery clean. Everything's pretty much gone up, hasn't it? The fact is that beer is getting more expensive, we can't avoid that. Charlie, from a marketing perspective, how do you think we should manage consumer expectations? Someone who wants that £3, £3.50 pint, and they go in and it's £4, £4.50, £6. Is there a way we can manage that expectation? Oh, I mean, it's so difficult, isn't it? Because like, nobody actually wants to be told things are more expensive. Nobody wants to hear it. And nobody... I think on the whole, like, like a grand scale of like beer drinking... People aren't particularly interested in the whys. They just they they've gone to the pub and they realise that everything costs like lots more money, um, and that's directly impacting how much money they then have to do the things they want. And I think um, the way that I've been trying to do it is um, not really acknowledging the fact that the price has gone up, but kind of making how beer is made and all of the different components like it's a bit of an educational tool, so people actually have a better idea of how. You know, labour-intensive actually, like beer is to make, and then they can come away with a bit of knowledge on that, and then kind of a bit more of understanding of why these things now cost a little bit more money. But it's just it's really difficult to say to people, "I'm sorry, things are more expensive," without it coming across very negative, and like you're trying not to appropriate blame because it is it is the way that it is. Um, but again, if you're trying to just sell beer, you're just trying to keep like you know make people buy it and like telling them it's more expensive isn't going to make them buy it so it's, it's a very difficult balance really it it really is i think the struggle for me is like i moved from london to manchester three years ago and the beer is cheaper in manchester except the beer is 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 catching up especially in busy parts like this 
city centre faster because the, the costs have impacted just the cost of keeping the, the lights on in a bar that's making your beer more expensive because of electricity bills. So it's just like, how do we, how do we get over that? Alice, you run a, uh, you, sorry, you command a bar uh, for a brewery that focuses on on modern, flavorful beer that's not cheap to make at all. Hops imported from uh, the US, bold, you know, dippers and tippers. But do you think, or what advantages do you think this might give Cloudwater because consumers already have this perception of, you know, eight pound a can for a, for a tipper? Is there, is there an advantage? Uh, I'm not sure of, uh, whether there's an advantage for that, but in London, our cheapest pint is five pounds. And in happy hour, which is four till seven every weekday, is a pound off. So our cheapest pint is four pounds, which is, uh, as someone came in the other day and they were like, oh my God, how do I not know about this place? This is cheaper than Witherspoons. And I'm like, yeah, and it's fucking better too. Um, and I think, you know, we have, we have expensive beers and we have things that have silly, outrageous amounts of hops in them. We make silly imperial stouts that have all kinds of very expensive adjuncts and stuff in it as well. But I think there's a, there's a balance with them. But we are trying not to pass on the costs. It's kind of, there's, there's a certain amount from a brewery's perspective that's, yeah, this is the price that the malt has gone up by. But we have not made it public, for instance, that our delightful landlords... Um, have put up our business rates by 114%. Is that the Archco? Mm-hmm. Okay. Boom. All we're doing is stating fact. There's no libel here. Um, that, is, that is a fact, and they have put that up across the entirety of the Bermsey Beer Mile, which is, for anyone that doesn't know, not a mile, uh, more like a two-mile stretch of uh, railway arches, which is where... Um, our wonderful, delightful neighbours, the Colonel, um, kind of originated one. They were kind of the OGs down in that area. Um, and they have decided to put up those rates uh, across the board. And the rent also is a completely separate factor to that as well. And we're trying to battle that alongside how much we're trying to absorb as a brewery as well in just raw production costs. Um, I think there's, there's a kind of balance to be found within how much we're selling an individual pint for. Um, I think there's a lot of absorption that's going on behind the scenes uh, that is not necessarily made public because Tesco can put up their price of beans. Um, I, I can't quote you on how much they put the price of beans up for, but there's a all of that food prices are going up and stuff and that's kind of like, oh yeah, shit, that's just the cost of living thing. But you can't really communicate that in the same way with a pint of beer. Yeah. You've got to still manage it to a certain degree. Andy, what are the challenges for a small producer such as yourself when it comes to implementing price increases? Because you've had to tell your, your distributors and, and, and retail customers that your beer is going to be more expensive. So how do you approach putting those prices up and that communication? But yeah, really, that's a really good question and one that we spent 
a long time looking at at the start of this year. Um, so we've got four 20 hectolitre tanks and we turn them every three weeks and we know all our fixed costs for the year. So we can basically work out per brew what it costs us to make the beer. Um, so I've got, a, from being a former IT data nerd, I've got a big spreadsheet with loads of macros in it. Yes, macros. Um, that can, I can basically add in my ingredient costs or my raw material costs. And I know roughly, well, exactly what it costs to make per batch and roughly how much revenue we need to achieve per batch in order to be viable. Um, and the, the trick for us has been in that packaging split. So we know that if I filled a, to fill a 2,000 litre tank um, costs us around about 2,000 pounds. Uh, I know that if I filled it all into cask, we'd break even. If I filled it all into keg, we'd make a little bit. If I filled it all into can, we'd be, I'd be really happy if we sold all that at retail especially. Um, so there's a, a blend. So the way we approached it and the way we communicated it was that our costs have gone up, here's what they've gone up by, and just be open with the customer. And then there's a, a, the trick is finding the balance between the market rate and not being the guys that go, hey, here's a 40% increase, and actually trying to find that right blend across our packaging split and then targeting our sales and marketing in achieving the split we need to achieve to meet our overall price increase objective. That, it sounds challenging. It sounds like a lot of work. It's like not, you can't just get you know, 10% and go, right, that's, that's more expensive. You have to pay it. You have to, you have to manage it. I, I guess a small brewery like you, you, you have a, a small number of customers and you need to retain as many of them as possible. Yeah, right? I mean, we've got, um, we sell still about 56% of our beer into Reading, particularly in Large Pack, which is our local market. Um, and, you know, those customers we have a good relationship with, and we, com- we can communicate with them very openly. Uh, and we, we were told, actually, that, yeah, your price is going up, but you're still about right. It's, nothing's really standing out as being too expensive. And it's that kind of open dialogue around not wanting to price yourself out of the market, because there's still people out there selling £60 casks. I've no idea how. And it's, it's finding that, that kind of, we don't want to go mad putting our cask price and cake prices up, but we want to make sure we're still viable and have that honest discussion with, with our customers. I'm going to throw the next question over to you all, but we'll start with you, Charlie, because it's, it's your turn. <laughs> Why do you think there is an overriding expectation in the UK that beer should be something that's cheap? What is, what's the mentality? It's a good question. <laughs> I'm not, I mean, mm, I think you've got, you've got two different types of people there, haven't you? You've got your, your sort of craft beer people that are deliberately going out and spending a little bit more on a premium product that is made with premium ingredients, tends to be a little bit higher in ABV, for example. Um, and then I know that you've spoken about it in the for, uh, before and I totally see it as well, is like, you know, cask beer is expected to be very, very cheap. And if you put those prices up, you get a lot of complaints. Um, it's like, I went to my local the other day and like a pint of beer that was made literally a mile and a half down the road cost me £6.20 and it made me bristle. Um, because I feel like it shouldn't cost that much. But actually, once the, it's left the brewery and then it's gone to the pub and then the pub's had to put it on, the pub's had to pay people, put the lights on, like, I get it. But I think it's just we maybe the, the culture of uh, like our drinking culture is like you go out and you, you, you know we, we do like to have a drink and we do like to get a change from a ten pound note and we're really struggling like to, to let that go. Like I remember being eighteen and I could get four pints of red stripe in my local for a tenner 
I'd take 20 quid out with me, get a packet of cigarettes and put money in the jukebox and still have change. And I think it's like there's a nostalgia thing that maybe like goes on with that. Like everyone remembers when drinks were cheap and now they're not. And we can't quite work out why it is, even though like it's all around, like it's, it's not that hard to work it out. But yeah, no, it's a difficult question. I think people just don't perhaps value normal beer the way that perhaps they value craft beer. Alice, why do you think there's an expectation in the UK that beer should be cheap? There's an expectation in the UK that beer comes in a pint. And it is about volume and the price per volume rather than the quantity per volume, which I think is so ingrained in the UK drinking culture. So you go out and we serve things in any different measure and there's a handful of people that will come in but the majority of people will come in and they expect things by the pint and anything is measured by the pint and it doesn't matter how strong it is there's an expectation of like well I can't have a pint of that because then I'll get pissed and it's like well yeah but that's why we don't sell it by the pint but it's, there's, there's that initial conversation to begin with when a lot of other drinking cultures globally are not focused on the sheer quantity of how much people in the UK drink. And I think that that's... Anything is measured by the pine. If you refer to the... I don't want to mention the newspaper because they're awful. Uh, but there, <laughs> but uh, there was a newspaper article that was uh, focused on prices that they found in the rake uh, and in Craft Beer Co. in London, and it was like, oh my God, it's £13. It's £17 for a pint. And a Cloudwater, one of the breweries that were mentioned in that, and it was a fucking 8% dipper. It doesn't come in a pint. You know, it's not supposed... It's, we haven't brewed that to be drunk by the pint. And if you... Like, that, that, was, that was what the whole conversation was about, because it was by the pint. And a UK pint is a larger volume of liquid than anything you're going to get on the continent. It's still, the 68 milliliters is still bigger than a 0.5 liter that you're going to get in the Czech Republic or the Germany where they have incredible brewing history. It's way bigger than uh, a US pine and it's, it's, we in the UK drink things at a much larger volume, masses of German lager aside. But it's the, the, the norm of the quantity of liquid that we assume we're having and we're going out and we're going like oh yeah we're going to have four pints five pints that is a way bigger amount of beer than anyone else is really expecting and so when you go out and you drink that it's like well I don't think it shouldn't be more than like four five pound for a pint of it but that's not how much that beer is costing to produce and there's there's still such a weird mentality in the UK about that rather than somewhere like the US, if you go to like-for-like, quote-unquote, hype breweries, and the beer, is, the beer is, like, way more expensive. It's, you know, you're looking at $7, $8 for a, essentially a two-thirds of lager over there, and that's fine, because the beer is expensive to make, and we've paid our staff, and that's, that's what you're paying for a small batch of that beer. But it just... That culture does not exist in the UK. Andy, I'm going to give you a, a scenario here. You, you've got a beer on the bar in cask, and you, they're probably selling it for £4 a pint. Next to it is something like 
Madri. It's five pounds a pint. But the customer thinks your beer is too expensive. What do you think is driving that kind of thinking, even though it's not more expensive? I think that's one for Charlie, actually. That's, all mar- that's marketing. Um, that's marketing, all it is. Madri brewed wherever it's brewed, Burton, is it? Maybe Tadcaster. Uh, but promoted as a premium, authentic Spanish brand that's never been near Spain. Um, they spend millions on advertising and marketing and produce that as a premium brand. Uh, we've got a very, very small marketing budget and can't make that same case. Um, how do you think we overcome these expectations? Is, is there a way that you think we can make people realise what goes into making a beer and why it's so expensive? Yeah, I think it comes down to communication again, and that's another you know, marketing point in that we need to you know, let consumers know that we are small and we are, you know, we are paying our staff, um, to Alice's point, we are, you know, we, we, we're doing things the right way. Uh, we're a small local business um, and we're trying to be authentic in what we do. Um, and it's, you know, trying to position the value of the beer in that sense. I mean, yes, ingredients, yes, duty, yes, all that other stuff. But you want to support something that's local and made uh, to a high standard by people that care about it. Charlie, what do you think would be the long-term effect to, con- to consumers if beer continues to rise in price? How will people respond if it just keeps getting more expensive? Oh, I think people that really value good quality products will just keep paying for it and then make um, decisions on other spending places. I think people that truly enjoy premium artisan products would like to go like they they will just keep doing that and they will maybe not do as many holidays or they'll buy less you know they'll buy second hand clothes I think it's like especially again with craft beer it's a real passion for people it's almost like a lifestyle it's a little bit weird (laughs) but like I don't hate them for it but I think they the sort of people that like to drink that sort of beer tend to be like they have their favourite breweries and they want to support those people they want to know that they're going to continue making the beer that they really, really enjoy and they will continue paying the price, I think what will happen, it's, yeah, either they'll cut back in other parts of their lives or they will just go out a little less often or they'll buy, they'll go for a half instead of a two-thirds. You know, I think they're just going to make the concessions because it's something they're truly passionate about. Um, on a wider scale, the sort of people that maybe enjoy a bit of craft beer but, like, they're buying it from Tesco's, like, absolutely no no problem with that whatsoever I love that everybody gets to have a go on it um, I don't know if they're going to feel the, the effects as much because they're not going into the, the bars and paying like those extra prices so I think they'll be absolutely fine <laughs> but yeah people that want to like really promote independence and they really like believe in independence and premium products will just keep swallowing it until they can't I'm interested to gauge from each of you like where you live, how busy it is. Because when I go into central Manchester, you know, people have less money to spend. I know I have less money to spend, but I don't see the enthusiasm for going to the pub dampened. The good pubs are always busy. Uh, how is it where you are? Andy, how is the sort of Reading area? Yeah, Reading area is still... I mean, the good pubs are still busy, and I think people attach value to their pint in, in the sense that it's, not, it's more than that beer that you have it's catching up with your friends it's, it's that kind of social occasion um, and we all work really hard and we all the world's mostly shit at the moment and you, you kind of prioritise that spend over other stuff and say well actually I'm going to go for a pint with my friends and you still go um, 
to the pubs in Reading. It's a bit hit and miss. It's we're hearing like post COVID. Um, the, I said I wasn't going to say that word. I said it. Um, that basically it's a bit unpredictable in that you might have a mad Thursday night in a pub, and then Saturday's dead and weird stuff like that, which makes makes it hard to manage from that point of view. But people are still getting out and going out and spending money on the, on beer, which is which is posi- a positive thing for the market. I think. Yeah, I I, I agree. Charlie, how's Bristol? I don't think it's ever starts. I mean, price-wise, we are probably second to London. Like I said, I paid £6.20 for a beer. So angry. But it's, it, we've got King Street, which is our sort of Bermondsey Mile, I guess, but it's like the, it's the beer muda triangle. It's where you do your craft beer thing. It's full of stag dudes, it's full of hen dudes, it's full of people. Um, it was very quiet over Christmas. I was actually really surprised. Like, Christmas was absolutely dead. But like in Bristol, the minute the sun comes out, everybody's out, everyone's in the pub, everyone's having a nice time. Um, and I think a lot of breweries are bringing out like less crazy beer at the moment as well. So people are probably staying because they can have like a little bit more of something that's nice instead of one of something that's huge. But yeah, no, Bristol's there. <laughs> yeah, I used to know Left Hander Giant as like an IPA brewery through and through, but now it's like Heller's, Smiled. It's like, yeah, we're going to make some pub beers. Uh, Alice, how's how's the beer mile? Is is that still is it still a thing? Is it still busy? Uh, Saturdays are insane because people just go down for a pub crawl. Um, it's it's nicely busy on on weekdays. I think that more people have realised that uh, kind of craft beer doesn't have to mean expensive because you've still got other pubs that have got macro-owned craft beer uh, that is six, seventy, seven twenty a pint, and that you can go to your local brewery tap room or two other kind of like more specialist venues, whether it's your bottle shops or kind of designated beer bars that are still getting stuff in that's local and it's cheaper than going to those places and getting a pint of neck oil. You go into the city and a pint starts at £7 and they don't care. They'll, they'll go because it's local and it's nearby rather than for the, the quality of the beer or because it's a cheaper pint. And it's a really interesting mix of people at the moment but I think that there's still a huge amount of brand recognition which kind of drives people to there. And they don't really mind about what price they're paying for it, even though they know that they could get it a pound cheaper down the road. They just don't want to travel that far. It's really, it's really weird. Laziness is a huge factor, isn't it? <laughs> like, people just don't want to go anywhere. <laughs> you can get pints of, like, Villages or Colonel that's one pound, two pound more expensive in South London, and you can go to the tap room. But no... But no, because it's near. I don't have to walk 10 minutes. So something that's quite significant that's happening, uh, is it the 1st of August it comes in? Yes, we, we think so anyway. Yeah. So uh, after review for several years, the entire UK alcohol duty system, so the taxation that drinks producers pay uh, per litre of alcohol, is changing um, one of the most significant things about it, which is actually a huge positive in my eyes, is that uh, beer, wine, cider and other drinks are not going to be taxed differently. They are all going to be taxed the same based on the, the volume uh, of alcohol they produce. 
this could mean that a, someone who makes beer could start making cider and pay the same tax on it. Um, English wine, which is exploding in popularity uh, thanks to climate change, uh, and French producers... <laughs> you shouldn't really cheer for that, folks, but uh, I admire the enthusiasm. Um, but, uh, you know, French wine producers are buying up plots of land in, in Sussex and Kent uh, to, because there's the, great, uh, grape-growing conditions, but the tax on wine has uh, gone up immeasurably. Beer is interesting because it's some parts are going up, some parts are going down, and then we've got inflation anyway. So um, beer that's under 3.4% will get a tax break of about 50p per litre. You pay less if it's 3.4 or less. That used to be 2.8 or less. So you're going to see lots of 4%, 3.8 beers made by big companies suddenly become 3.4%. Um, I don't know if you uh, were here for the Muntins Barley talk, but when I asked the, uh, the chap from Muntins uh, about that, he was like, yes, this is going to be a worry for the barley industry because people are going to buy less barley, probably, because of the lower-strength beer. Something that is interesting, though, is that you used to pay more... Uh, if you make a beer more than 7.4%, that's changing to 8.5%. So it means if you want to make a 7.5% IPA, you're actually going to pay the normal rate of duty, more or less. You might be able to explain that a bit better than I can. But something else that's happening is that um, draft beer, sold in a 20-litre container or bigger, is going to have a 9.6% tax break. How we're going to measure this no one knows, but it's called the draft relief, so pubs will pay less tax than supermarkets and retailers. The idea is that the gap between supermarket beer is just uh, and, and on-premise beer is too low. Funnily enough, 9.6%, the discount, is the same as the uh, uh, in rate of inflation, so we are not going to see a single penny difference over the bar. It might stay flat for a little while and hopefully retailers can scrape some earnings back. But um, beer you buy in shops is going to go up via inflation. It's going to get more expensive in, in August. So that's happening. Uh, it's been... Um, uh, the current Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, actually worked on that when he was the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Uh, so it, it's, it's mind-boggling and something that small producers have really had to get their, their heads around. Andy, how do you think the new duty system will affect what you do at Elusive? Will you be pivoting to more draft beer as a result of the draft relief? Will you be making lower ABV beers or some mead or cider? How's, it gonna, how's things going to change at Elusive? Oh, that's a big, big question. And, and um, I, I just want to um, mention a couple of important points about the system that's changing. In the, um, until, well, until the end of July this year, Currently, um, anyone producing below uh, 5,000 hectolitres per year gets 50% discount flat uh, on their beer. Um, so, Elusive, uh, last year we produced 1,100 hectolitres, uh, so all of our beer was at half-price duty, including anything that was above uh, the, the high-strength uh, threshold, uh, which is currently 7.4. So, if we brew an Imperial Stout, at 10%, uh, we pay half the duty that a bigger brewery would pay. Um, what's changing um, is quite fundamental in that what's, the way it's calculated, at the minute it's based on volume, purely on volume. It's changing to um, hectolitres of pure alcohol. 
Um, and the figure they've used to work out when small becomes big is the equivalent of brewing 2,200 hectolitres, about half, but at 4.5% ABV. That's the figure they've used to make that calculation. So if you're, if you're a, a brewery, let's say track um, in Manchester that makes lots of stronger beers, you're in that kind of two, 3,000 hectolitre per year, you're already paying more with, with doing nothing. Um, so that's going to be passed on. Um, how it's going to affect us, uh, we still won't make that threshold and it will still be at the smaller end. Uh, we'll still achieve this roughly the same discount. Uh, you mentioned the draft duty um, and you got it very spot on in that the, um, the draft duty uh, relief is inflation. Um, so it's flat. Uh, everything else is going up. Uh, so you, you will we'll be paying more duty. You'll be paying more for your beer. Um, we, we are looking at, and everyone should look at, that 3.4% uh, threshold whereby um, it used to be that uh, below 2.8, you pay half again. So even with our half, we pay half again on duty. 2.8 is hard to make uh, a living at that, unless you specialize in low ABV. Good luck to you, that's a real growing market. Um, the real threat, though, is that uh, Green King, uh, below 3.4, will still pay half. Um, so they're now paying the same duty rate that I will pay at 3.4, um, and that's going to be disruptive, trust me. Yeah, it's uh, it's a bit of a worry, but uh, it's kind of we're kind of powerless to it. It was going to be worse actually, and I will say that a lot of uh, campaigning from CBA, the Society of Independent Brewers, of which uh, Andy is a member, as our Cloudwater, uh, managed to like get it halfway between what the proposals were. So it's uh, thanks to a small brewers association, uh, it's the damage is not going to be as devastating as it could. Yeah, I think the the main point that CBA achieved was that the draft relief was going to be uh, forty liters and above. So cask, um, or 50 litre kegs. Seabra uh, argued, argued it down to 20. It does tell you who was doing the lobbying, though, on, on that change. Charlie, what do you think that this will affect in terms of price going up? Do you think it will affect the range of beers that are available? Do you think there's an expectation from customers that, that beer might become cheaper because they've seen on the news that there's this draft relief? How, how is that going to affect that perception? So there are just so many numbers, I've gone cross-eyed. <laughs> um, oh, I guess it depends how it's spun, isn't it? But again, it's the sort of, you've got your general beer drinkers because that's their drink of choice when they go out who are just going to have their perceptions and you'll have people that are genuinely interested and try and make head on tails of what it is you were both just talking about. Um, I mean, I think everyone's, uh, there seems to be like a bit of a, it's like you were saying about like low um, ABV beers are, are very, very popular, they're becoming much more popular. There seems to be something in the South that's happening where we seem to be interested in milds again, which is lovely. Um, I think there is a little bit of a customer fatigue for very strong beers and I think chewing through beer is something Definitely. that... We just don't want to do that anymore. Like we, we, you know, we chased the white rabbit. We wanted everything that was new, and now we just want something that isn't going to like make my mouth pucker like a dog's bumhole. And um, that would be really lovely. So I think it'll be really like I think it actually will probably do us some good to have some lower ABVs like done really, really well. And I can absolutely see like a, there's going to be a lovely way of like marketing and PRing that. But yeah, it's 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 also wait and see because like. We don't know until it happens, and then people will start voting with their wallets, and then we have to tell them not to. So, 
Alice, how do you feel the new duty system will affect breweries like Cloudwater? Dare I say hyped breweries, or modern breweries as I like to call them, um, and the kind of beers you can expect to see you folks producing? I'd quite happily only ever see table beer brewed by anyone ever again, maybe with a nice little low APV lager, but that's probably just me. Um, I think there's, from what I've seen and heard, there's definitely a, the BBC News kind of like clickbait headline articles of, your beer's going to be cheaper, and you're like, (laughs) no, it's it's not, and especially when it was uh, 40 litres and above. Uh, which was accompanied, I think, at the time by the photo of Rishi Sunak down at Four Pure with 30-litre kegs. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, not them. <laughs> None of them. Um, I think there's definitely... There's, there, from, from my point of view, at least, there's definitely been people who expected it to be cheaper. Um, there also seems to be no slowing of appetite of strong beers from a taproom perspective. I think there is definitely from trade... Uh, from the venues wanting to spend that much money on buying the beers in, but from individual com- for companies, individual customers that are coming in, they're like, where are the tippers? Why haven't you made a birthday tipper? You do one every year. Why have, why have you got two pails? And, um, and you know, but they want to... I think there's more of an appetite of... Your, sorry, Oscar. Sorry. I got excited. Why are you so mad, mother? <laughs> Why? Uh, <laughs> Alice's dog is yeah, uh, joining, in, joining in the shouting. Uh, it, it's interesting because I saw, I've seen that happen. I've been in the, the Piccadilly uh, trading estate tap room and seen a customer stood at the bar going... Why, literally that, those words, why isn't there a tipper when there's so many delicious beers on? But I, with Cloudwater, I see more beers like Happy, like 3.6. That'll be 3.4 by August. Uh, I reckon um, um, beers like Piccadilly Gold like dare I say Cloudwater are definitely leaning into more pintable beers currently on, te- on, uh, on the bar in the marquee uh, if anyone wants to sample it uh, yeah thanks <laughs> I've had my marketing helm uh, um, our best selling beer is a 4.2% hazy pale we that sells more than any of the other beers the hairless lager is second to that, and there's definitely volume pints behind that. But we have got a regular customer base over five years, and they come in, and I'm like, oh, I haven't seen you in ages. And they're like, yeah, I go to Verdant now because they have a dipper on each week. <laughs> oh, um, okay. How much for a pint? We sell a two third because I like to be responsible. We sell two-thirds of double IPA for £8. And how much is the 4.2% beer? £6 a pint. Lovely. So uh, it's, not, it's, not even, it's not even like for what you're... It's, it's about, the, again, about the volume rather than the, what you actually want to necessarily drink. But we sell the, like the DDH IPAs that we sell are £8 for a pint because they're just, they have silly amounts of pops in them. And people will quite happily pay that. And then you also get people that come in and they don't want to pay more than six. And so we have those things to accommodate those customers as well. I think there's just, there's a I nice I just want to like just jump in a second and it's like, it's really, I think it's really tempting to um, kind of take these kind of very small, loud minority, where's me tippers, where me dippers, 
uh, the size queens of the beer world, I suppose. Um, they're the squeakiest wheels, and they want, like... It sounds like that's what everybody wants, isn't it? And I think it's like... I, I try to just ignore them and hope they move on, because it's... I think it's quite easy to, to think that they are like a big, big voice sometimes. But they also buy things in can. So if they're not on draft, they're the ones that will pay 11, 12 pounds for a can. The, then they the, can go home. <laughs> they all take them home. I, I need to get the job that those guys have got. Um, I'm going to stand I, up here. I, that's IT and tech. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. None of them work in a bar. <laughs> um, I am going to open this up to the floor if you have questions for myself or any of the panelists please raise your hand and i will make my way out into the uh, into the audience here we go sir question to andy uh, you said about cast scale you don't make mo any money on it why do you bother producing it then uh we we basically um we can make money on it if we don't um if the rest of the tank isn't cask <laughs> Uh, which sounds a bit weird. I like drinking cask. I like selling cask. Uh, we still produce cask. Uh, it's mostly pre-ordered. Uh, and then we have a cut-off uh, on the tank. So uh, we know we bring a beer next week. We're brewing 2,000 litres of it. We price it up um, based on a typical split. And we'll take cask orders up to a certain point. Then we'll stop taking the orders. And we'll package it at that. So uh, we still produce cask because I bloody well like drinking it. Um, that's pretty much it. Um, and we need to keep cask going, you know. Um, there's a lot of we, we've we've our cast prices have gone up for sure, um, uh, and they've gone up probably more. Um, we kept our can prices flat this year. Um, cast went up the most, um, but luckily we're fortunate that we've still got a lot of customers that will pay it, and a lot of people that will pay for that over the bar at the appropriate markup for our customers. So um, yeah, we'll keep doing it because uh, I love cask, and we're going to keep we want to keep cask going. Another question over here. Hi, this question's for Alice. Um, given the cost of increase for renting out one of the um, arches at the Bermondsey Beer Mile, what do you think the Bermondsey Beer Mile will look like in five years? Um, we're kind of, there's, there's a bit of an inside joke at the moment that we're waiting for Leon to move in. Um, Deliveroo have already taken three arches down on the Bermondsey Beer Mile because they can. Uh, there is a ghost kitchen down there, but uh, Brew by Numbers have just closed their arch that are down there. I think it's it's become so much of a kind of identity within itself rather than the bastion of where you could get a great beer in London, which is so much of what it was. Uh, which it is, it's, it absolutely still is. <laughs> that, that makes you sound like I'm being like, yeah, come and get a shit pint. Um, <laughs> it's still a great place. It's still a great place to come and get a great beer from different breweries. But the very much the argument that I'm having with Archco is you are closing small businesses because you're making it unobtainable for those businesses to be successful. So like, it, and it's not just it's not just home to breweries down there. Um, the lovely St. John uh, restaurant in London have their bakery down there. I don't know how, like, they, they've been there for like 12 years. There's a printing company that's been there for I think 17 or 21 years. Um, it's not just the, it's not just beer that's been affected by that, but it's it's become kind of a bit of a commodity in itself that we're we are just kind of waiting for some stupid company to come in and 
take advantage of that for sure. And I think that within five years, if Archco still play at the game that they're currently at, uh, that's what that's what the the, the beer mile is going to look like for sure. It's going to be the Bermondsey Pret Mile, uh, and you can do a tour of all the prets. How many prets can you do in a two-hour period? The fact there's not a pret down there already is astounding. You say it three times, I'll turn up though. <laughs> Got a question down I'm here. Not Given we're in Scotland today, I want to know what impact you think DRS will have on kind of English exporting to the Scottish market. Second question is on what role do you think British hot producers will have on beer giving, going forwards, given the import kind of costs on US or maybe it's kind of New World, Australia, New Zealand hops will be. So who wants to take a question about DRS? Charlie, no. Andy. Andy, would you like to take a question? Yeah, so we, we've, um, I think DRS in its current form is, is kind of unworkable and I'm pleased it got delayed, although we did sign up to it uh, because um, I figure that we figured that uh, eventually DRS will be all across the UK and it's the right thing to do in a sense. Uh, we're not, I mean, craft beer, we're not against saving the environment. We're kind of good people and we want to do the right thing. Um, but the way it was administered uh, and the way at least it was proposed to be administered was really, really challenging in that the, the curbside collections and all this and the tracking of, of cans coming back and um, unique barcodes per country, which is where we could have ended up. Uh, what we need is a cohesive UK-wide approach to DRS uh, and then give people time to sign up and adjust to it and make sure that it works for everybody. Um, so uh, we signed up for it more out of curiosity to see how things would play out. It's been delayed for a year. Uh, we will still supply Scotland uh, in the t under the terms of DRS because we figure that, yeah, it, it will be universal at some point. I might take the hop question myself, uh, actually, because I, um, someone I know who works for Bath Haas, one of the major hop merchants in the world, uh, German company, but supplies US hops, supplies hops all over the UK, um, formerly known as Simply Hops, um, told me that the expectation of yield coming from the UK for this year globally will be 0.3% of the UK hop supply. Part of that, the figure is distorted in that the, the US hop market has grown so much. It's now half of all hops grown in the world and Germany grows about 40%, I think it's 37%. And mostly Eastern European nations like Slovenia, the Czech Republic, uh, all grow more hops than we do in the UK because farmers can't make money growing hops in the UK because they grow crops that they can sell to supermarkets and make lots of money. It's the same for like apple trees uh, that make cider apples have been ripped up to do fruit trees for fruit for supermarkets. It, it's tough being a UK farmer. Do you know UK farmers used to get subsidies uh, from this organisation called the EU which encouraged them to grow certain things and they would get given money and now they don't get any of that money. Um, the problem is that the, the US grows so many hops and about 50% go unsold every year, but the ones that go unsold are bittering hops. So hop suppliers have stocks going back to like 2017, 2016 in cold stores that's not going to bust, uh, not selling. The hop industry, if beer gets too expensive and people start relying on less hops or, or less expensive hops, it, it could genuinely collapse uh, because... You mentioned capitalism earlier. Hop, hop farming in the US in particular, has it's just massive. Uh, and it's worth billions. Um, so uh, 
what what I think we do need is is a focus on UK hops. One one of the major growers, uh, Brookhouse, just went um, into administration. Uh, it's really really sad. I hope someone can like pick up the mantle with that farm, not just because of the volume of hops is needed, but the quality of hops they were grow- growing uh, was really uh, really great. Um, so there needs to be definitely needs to be a focus on uh, preserving. UK hops, but part of that focus needs to be on ensuring that everyone along the supply chain is remunerated correctly for what they're producing, um, which will make beer more expensive. So it's uh, it's uh, it's a bit of sort of Damocles, kind of like it's going to happen, but when uh, kind of thing. Um, I've got time for uh, one or two more questions. Uh, yes. I was wondering, is the UK a expensive place to brew in the first place? Because I'm from Germany and I can still walk into a supermarket, get a 500 mil can of decent beer for like 60, 70 P, which obviously is completely unattainable here. Where is the difference? Why uh, does it cost so much more to brew in the UK? Uh, that might be a good one for you, Andy. Why does it cost so much more to brew in the UK than it does in Germany? We've got the second highest duty rate in Europe. Uh, that's the main answer, I think, is duty. Um, I think that if you compare Germany to the UK in terms of the cost of ingredients, probably pretty similar. Um, we get a lot of ingredients from Germany anyway. Um, uh, probably some minor costs like... Uh, uh, you know, minor, not minor, energy, probably we're paying a bit more. Uh, I suspect salaries are higher in Germany. Um, but there's a bit of a blend of stuff there, I think. But I think the main reason of that price difference is duty. Um, I mean, if you, you can go into a, a supermarket in Munich and get Augustina Hellers by the case for, say, 70 cents a bottle, um, that, would, that could never happen here. Um, because, I mean, the duty on it would probably be a, probably a third of that. I did pay £13 for 15 cans of tenants in Asda on the way here. So uh, that's, that's how I'm saving my money. <laughs> um, I've got one question here. Uh, a, a silly question, but going in the other direction. What is the most amount of money you've ever spent on a beer? It's a good question. What's the most you've ever spent on a beer? Uh, I bought a bottle of um, uh, Still Tuesday, Still Black Tuesday, uh, from the brewery in Anaheim, and it was $35. That was expensive. It was very really nice. Anyone else? What's the most expensive bottle of beer you've bought? Uh, I've spent upwards of 50 on a, on a 750. Uh, but I recently bought a smaller than a third pour in the States of a side project Saison for $14. I just don't spend crazy amounts on beer. I remember when I first got into it and Wild Beer were doing their big sharing bottles and I must have spent... 10 or 11 quid on that and it felt like really bougie <laughs> so but yeah like I don't yeah I don't tend to spend a huge amount but that's probably my most expensive yeah mine was uh, 50 pounds a bottle of Zena e Frontera from Drew Fontaine and um, drinking at Cafe Beer Moth I think you, it, it's I really wanted to try it uh, was it worth 50 pounds probably not um, but I got to tick the box <laughs> Uh, mostly I just drink pints of bitter now. One question, Johnny. You can be last. What would you like to ask the panel? Thank you. Um, big fan of the podcast. Um, 
That's all I wanted to ask. Um, no, um, I never really, I didn't intend to ask this question, but just thinking after being at a music festival last weekend in London, um, we mentioned earlier about how people were maybe drinking less or the ways in which they'd gone around navigating the price of alcohol increasing. But one thing that I was wondering is the potential rise in people using, not, not this is maybe a bit dark, but uh, illegal drugs. And uh, I've definitely noticed both on, not to bring classism into it, but both on people who maybe are more uh, working class and all the way up have started switching their uh, intake. As you said earlier, people in the UK do like to get inebriated in some way and that doesn't necessarily have to be through alcohol but I've definitely noticed um, people shifting their uh, expenditure towards other uh, mediums of getting intoxicated. I was wondering how maybe from a marketing perspective and from production's perspective if you've ever considered how like that's going to affect the, the culture in the UK. Uh, I mean, have you seen the price of drugs? <laughs> They are tax-free. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not actually anything I've considered. Um, it's probably something I could consider. Um, I know personally that I, I like to stay home and not be sober in other ways sometimes because like, going out is quite overwhelming and it can be quite expensive and it's a fun thing that I can do with a pint of ice cream and a rerun of uh, Law and Order. That's, you know, um, I think it's a really good question. I just don't think I have uh, an answer for that. I'd have to go away and like have a think. But it's yeah, it's it's a really good thing to to bring up. Yeah. I want to say thank you to our panelists, Alice, wherever she uh, has just gone, uh, and to Charlie and Andy. Uh, please make sure you drink some cloud water and elusive beer. Thanks for listening to that, folks. I'll be back very soon with another panel discussion from FineFest 2023. If you're enjoying this podcast or our online magazine at pellicalmag.com, do consider taking out a subscription. Just head to patreon.com forward slash pellicalmag. Give us four quid a month, the price of a pint, and we will spend that money on making more content just like this. Right, that's it from me. Until next time, bye-bye for now.